DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. It's time to welcome back Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, the former Cougar coach. Steve, good morning. Morning. So, I want you to put on the old coaching hat and answer a question that uh, our folks have been answering on uh, social media all morning and are, quite frankly, all over the map on. And that is, with the Jazz splitting two games in Florida – in a way, is it sort of good to have them lose a few until the playoffs? They've lost so few that when people lose one, when they lose one, people really cringe. So, is there a silver lining to these losses that are getting sprinkled in? Well, I, you know, I mean, there's silver linings to everything. I don't think as a coach do you ever. Uh, you, I mean, you can find good in losses and. Uh, Especially if it's uh, it's been something that uh, as you practiced or you've watched over time that uh, you've gotten away with it, and may- maybe you know defensively your adjustments, maybe it's uh, your unselfishness with the ball, maybe it's just effort. I mean, sometimes uh, that's not the worst thing in the world. Teams need wake up calls, and and they realize that hey, you know what, uh, you've got to have more of an attention to detail here. You're going to have some losses, and you grow from them and learn from them. I mean, anytime you lose a game, uh, everything gets put under the microscope. I mean, that's just that's the nature of coaches and organizations. And you you usually, after a loss, can become better because you you're watching so much film, you're overanalyzing everything. But you know, I, I don't ever think that you can find good in losing. But I don't think anybody gets up in the morning thinking, you know, what if we lose this game? That's all right. We need that. Uh, we need to get these guys' attention. Uh, I think what you do, what good coaches do, and what good players do is they learn from their mistakes. Recognize it's a long season. There's lots of travel. A lot of you know, the dynamics of COVID and all the, and the protocol things going on. I think we, as coaches, players. Uh, we understand it a little bit more, but I don't think we want to get to the point where uh, we accept it, and, and, and it's okay. It's okay when that happens. You know, I mean, I, I think that's a slippery slope. Uh, but certainly, there are nights when we don't play well, and you can look at it very clearly, whether it's offensively or defensively, uh, or coaches, you know, adjustments. Uh, you, you look back and go, okay. You got to be better. So yeah, we get, but you can get better from losing. There's no question about it. But I don't know anybody that goes into that. I, I'd rather win ugly, and uh, than lose and feel like I, you know, there was a lesson learned there. I, you know, you try to win every game, and that's what you're doing. And nights that you don't shoot it well, you don't execute well. Uh, you can still get. I think it's easier to get into a team that wins ugly, makes mistakes. Uh, than it is one that uh, that loses and all of a sudden starts down that slide. So uh, you can look at it either way. I mean, I you, you look. You, the key thing is that you learn and evaluate, assess. You watch film. You have conversations. You know that kind of culture in any organization is always going to get better. And you know, I mean, Utah's twenty-seven and seven, eight and two in their last ten games. Uh, you know, they got a four-game lead. I I think people should be pretty happy about that. I don't think there's anybody on the planet that thought they would have a four-game lead in the West uh, come March 1st. I just don't think that's what anybody thought. If they did, I don't think they're being honest with us. But uh, they, that's where they are, 
and, and they did have a you know a couple of a uh, couple of losses that were a little bit ugly, but for the most part, that this team has been really really good. So at this time of year in the NBA, we're at the halfway point. Colleges were towards the end, so it's drastically different. And I'll get to college in a second, but I want to ask you first about the NBA playing well versus peaking because playing well is good in midway through the season but peaking seems like it's almost like a negative connotation is there a difference there between playing well and peaking to the point of being concerned you know i mean i, I think that as you watch it if you look at you take all the dynamics of, of winning and you look at your team and then you evaluate your team uh, sometimes you know that you've gotten away with maybe uh, not the effort you should have had, not the execution you should have had, and uh, and those things can be a little bit alarming. It's kind of like you, you, you're constantly telling you guys, listen, th- this is fine, you know, when we're we're playing, uh, you know, uh, a particular team. I mean, if it's if it's you're playing the Hornets, you know, you know, playing the Lakers down. Uh, you know, you're, you're playing different. The Heat, you lose to the Heat. Uh, you beat the Magic, who are down. I, I don't know if there's great satisfaction. I think you have to be really, really careful about wins against teams who are missing players. And if all of a sudden we take a, you know, we, we look at the stature of a win like that and we get excited and think we're somewhere when we're really not. And it's kind of like fool's gold. And, and, and I've had that experience where you go through the stretch of a season where you're playing teams that are under 500, struggling, missing guys. You start thinking that, hey, we're, we're pretty good. When in, when in actuality, you know that uh, that is like fool's gold. I mean, it's, you know, we won, that's great, but we need to be better. Take a look at the other things that determine whether a team is going to be able to sustain this, like defense, you know, how are we defending, are we still moving the ball? Uh, if we get a little bit sticky with the ball and we're not playing with the kind of chemistry that we had in the past, uh, that does worry you as a coach. And coaches have a responsibility to make sure players understand that. So uh, peaking against who? That thing is probably where I would look at it. Who are we peaking against? You know, I mean, we, there are some givens right now that the Jazz should. You know, they're a team that's capable, like you take a look at the last four games. I mean, they beat the Hornets soundly. Uh, they beat the Lakers soundly. Uh, and that was a good win. I mean, they, they played well together, did a lot of good things. Uh, then, then they go to the Heat, who is hungry as can be, who's won seven or eight games in a row. They weren't just going to show up there and shoot 32% from the three and beat them. And that wasn't going to happen. It, it just wasn't. And the Heat are a pretty good team that, have kind of struggled with the protocol, struggled with uh, Butler being hurt. So they go there and they, and, and they don't play a, a, a great game. Now, I don't know if that was a mental thing or let's give the Heat credit. They're pretty good. They were in the finals last year in the bubble. They struggled with injuries. Dragic has been out most of the year. Uh, all of a sudden, he comes back and goes for 26. So I don't know what the mindset was. I mean, it's harder to win on the road, no question, but easier this year in COVID where you don't have any fans. And then, then, then they play a really, really mediocre Magic team uh, and beat them. So, you know, didn't they go 3-1 and one last week? I think, they, uh, I think they won three games last week. 
So I think all, all in all, you got to be pretty happy about what's going on. But uh, I think you need to be really honest with yourself when you're playing teams that have two and three and four guys out. You still stay with your system, but you can't. You, you get a little bit uh, happy about those types of wins when it counts. When you really do need to be playing your best basketball, somebody sneaks up and you know and, and bites you in the butt, and you, and you lose a game you shouldn't lose. So. Uh, Got to always have that attention to detail, uh, but a win's a win. But I think good coaches, good organizations recognize when they're not playing well, even if they're winning. A lot of that may have more to do with an opponent's roster, their current state of affairs, not having everybody there playing. You have to kind of address all of those things when you start looking at that. But good news is Utah's in a great position. And uh, and I don't I don't think they have the hardest schedule in the world the second half so they're in a position right now to to win this division and uh, to have home court advantage whatever that's worth these days but I mean if anything it's just confidence they, they, they've they've got the confidence and and the chemistry that uh, championship teams need to have. So the Jazz are 6-2 and two in their last eight games. Four of the wins are over quality teams that were very short. Well, somewhere between shorthanded and very shorthanded. Two of the wins were over Charlotte and Orlando, who aren't very good. And then they got to two losses to the full-strength Clippers and the Heat, who weren't quite full-strength but were pretty close. So should they really be feeling good about 6-2 and two under everything you just laid out there? Because... There isn't a win over a healthy, very good team in that group, but there are two losses. Well, I, I, I don't. I think it, this is the time of the year that uh, everyone's cautious. Everybody knows, you know, who who they're playing, what the circumstances. Well, you have to watch the game, and you can watch the film and go, "Hey, I don't care who we played. The 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 blockouts." The, in, the defensive influences, uh, how we handled the ball screens. We made a lot of mistakes. And that's the beauty of film is, is you watch film. Even in wins, you watch film. I mean, I loved when I could teach after winning ugly. Okay? I mean, it's, it's, it's easy to get a guy in and make him feel better and bring him in the office and watch film after a tough loss, and we can learn from that. I, you have their full attention. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes – we win games and we get used to winning games and it just feels like, you know, there's not an appreciation for the details of what it took to win a game. And so I, I love to watch games where we didn't really play well. That's a great time to get into a guy about his game, about his effort, about his attitude, about his shot selection, about his execution of what we're trying to do. And, uh, and, and, and sometimes that'll surprise maybe the more immature or maybe not seasoned player. But uh, I always found that anytime the film was always good, especially with even the head coach. I, I just think that I, I tried to spend time watching film with players that were struggling so I could be positive and find something to, to focus on. Or if I was really a little bit upset with the effort, and, and it got disguised by a win, uh, I, that gave me an opportunity to get into them a little bit and just say, this is unacceptable. I don't, I don't care if we won the game. We can't win meaningful games at the end of the year. They're going to be really important to us. If you continue 
to not switch on that screen, if you continue to not make the extra pass, if you continue to not get back and transition defense or whatever the fundamental is. So um, I've had both. Uh, I, I, it's, it's your own well-being. You know, I mean, in, in, in this business, winning and losing takes its toll on you emotionally, physically. Uh, it, it's hard. I mean, this, this is something stuff that gets to you. And uh, so anytime you can be involved with the players after wins or losses to help get your team better, it's a good thing. And so you learn from both situations. Um, you know, truth be told, I'd, you'd always just rather win as many games as you can win and teach the lessons there. Uh, but I find that when the team's not playing well and you sit down with them and you're honest and transparent with them, that these are pretty genuine <clears throat> players that the Jazz have. This is an experienced group that uh, high, high character. <clears throat> you're not, you know, there's a reason they're not having a ton of COVID stuff. I, I look at <clears throat> college and NBA and the just, and sometimes it just can't be helped, but there seems to be a pattern with certain teams where there's a lack of discipline in how they play. And oftentimes it's some of the same teams that you just see on protocol constantly. And, and I, I'm not pointing a finger and judging anyone, but I just think you've got to be on top of those things. And, and especially in the, in the, in the world that we live in today with COVID. So whether it's uh, disciplining yourself off the court, where you go, staying away from the wrong places, to getting better at uh, an individual skill development issue or something that has maybe to deal with an attitude. Well, you know, oftentimes guys get down on themselves. And then that's what's really needed sometimes, really a helpful hand with a coach is, is to help players believe in themselves again. When a guy's struggling, connect the Jazz haven't had to deal with a lot of that this year. But in years past, most teams do where guys lose their confidence. That might be the hardest fix of anything. And that's, that's where you look and find the good and focus on that and spend lots of time individually. And, uh, and you leave them in the game a little bit longer when maybe they've missed a few shots because you're trying to help them develop and uh, sustain that uh, success that you've had in the past. You do have players occasionally that really lose their confidence in the middle of the year. And uh, that's when you kind of have to, you know, be a psychiatrist a little bit, you got to bring that out in you and making sure that uh, in a very, very positive way that they know you believe in them. And when, when a coach, when there's that kind of trust, you know, we, we hear that word used a lot, trust. And, uh, but the Jazz, to me, are a team that understand their roles. There is great trust and great chemistry. Doesn't mean they can, can't be beaten by another team. Everybody in this league can beat anybody. There's pros. Every team has really good players. So, uh, but I think of the things that uh, are most important. The Jazz have those that dynamic. They have that. They have to the coaches, the players, and that's why they're 27 and seven. Uh, so, can't get ahead of yourself here. But um, they're in a great position to win the division. But they they can't take this put off the pedal. It's not the time to get happy and feel good about things. This is the time to really focus and go, hey, we got to get better. And that's guys talking to each other. That's extra shots, extra reps, more film, uh, being smart with your body, being smart with COVID, 
and doing all those things. And, you know, you, you're in the crest of having the best season Utah's had in a long, long time. So uh, that adds a little pressure, I guess. But I think this group can handle that. Want to hit you up a uh, little college basketball? BYU got second place, locked down in the West Coast Conference. Uh, you know, looking at their team, I find it really interesting. Uh, five starters, obviously. Uh, four are transfers. Only one's a freshman. One's LDS. Uh, return missionaries seem to be all coming off the bench, but yet Mark Pope has pulled this all together. Uh, it's a little bit of an unusual formula for BYU historically doing this, and having success is great, so you've got to credit him for doing it. But what's your thought on the formula that he's been using, particularly this year, because he basically, these are all new guys in only his second year. It's not like he inherited a bunch like he did last year, but yet he's still having success. Well, I, you know, I kind of lived through that experience up when we came to BYU out of necessity. You know, I mean, there just weren't any, but there wasn't anybody in the program really. A lot of people left on missions, and the only way that we could even be competitive was to find transfers, to find jukes, to find one-year guys, transfers. And so I really understand that it, it works, and 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 at that time, you know, it, it can be difficult. I mean, BYU could be a difficult place to recruit to. And uh, we didn't have what Utah had going on or Utah State had going on back in the, in the late 90s where all of the, you know, the, the young people and the, the in-state kids for a while, you know, they quit going to BYU. I mean, they just didn't want – that was not an attractive place for them to come to when you got a Final Four Utah team, you got Stu had good teams at Utah State. I mean, so I get it and I understand it and I know how that process works. Uh, I, I think it's a unique time. I think I think that when you start looking at last year where they inherited that group and how do you replace those three seniors, well, you, you go to the transfer portal. And that that is so different than what college basketball has been in the past. I mean, as far as I know, the, even the seniors this year can come back and play again. Uh, with uh, I, I don't know what the protocols are all going to be, but I know that uh, – Early on, it was like, hey, if you miss part of your season because of COVID or your team isn't able to play, seniors actually have the option to come back and play again next year. So that's like having transfers again. So I'll, I'll be honest with you, the opportunity for me to go and l- look at the landscape of college basketball and see who's in the transfer portals and see how that fits with me uh, in, in our program I I didn't get any better than that. And they don't have to sit. And they've already played three years, and they've been in arenas. They've succeeded. they failed. You know, obviously you're not going to take someone of low character or as a problem, but there are a lot of good players in the country who just didn't have a right fit. Or maybe they were in a program like Harms, you know, where something wasn't right there. He wanted a different environment. So you're going to recruit the portal as much as you are going to go watch high school games or junior college games, uh, I, I, th- I don't think that's going away. I don't care who coaches. It, it, that, that's the greatest resource in the world, to be able to go and evaluate talent, look, watch film of players that you know are in the portal, 
And then you look at what, oh, here's our needs. I've got two guys coming off missions. They're not going to quite be ready. I got a guy here who's played at, at Louisville, and he's actually played 72 games. Uh, he's a 37% three-point shooter. I mean, you have all the information right in front of you. You can go watch those games. Uh, I, I think that is the best environment to recruit of any time I've seen and been involved in college basketball. I mean, it's a great thing. Not everybody benefits from that. But BYU is going to benefit from it because of facilities, because of the, the independence and the ability to be on TV all the time. Uh, recent successes, had good programs, been to the NCAA tournament. Uh, and it, it's not the kind of commitment that a freshman, a non-member freshman would make. That's not going to happen a lot at BYU. It's, it's happened. But with the, with the guidelines of the school and, and the honor code and some of those kinds of things, BYU is not going to be the right place for everybody. But that being said, when someone gets on that campus and they come to a game that's packed and they see the practice facility, they meet the guys, and they, 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 there's just a really, really good culture there, and they tell them, that, hey, there's certain things here that uh, you know we can't do. And they go, hey, I'm, I'm cool with this, man. I, I, I want to get to the league. I want to get to the next level. I want to play in Europe. This is a place I can do that. And uh, it's not like a, a guy's making a four-year commitment to uh, a, a culture that he wouldn't normally be com- you know, comfortable in. And so guys come here. And there's a lot, a lot of people that do agree with the values of our, you know, of, of BYU where – uh, some aren't, and, and, and that's just fine. But I think there are so many more opportunities to, to get good players into a program without having to develop them for three years. I mean, you know, the old days, okay, we get a return missionary. He, uh, in the old days, uh, he played a year, went away for two, uh, spent another year. You know, you didn't get anything out of those guys for four years, really. And now you get guys leaving early, so they get back earlier. You got that going on, which is really a, a great thing for athletics there. You can immediately focus in. They, maybe they're freshman year, they redshirt, go on a mission, whatever the circumstances. Now you've, you've got that pool of young men. Now you've got a whole pool of other young men, good, good people, good skills, ton of experience, and you blend them in with that. And I say BYU, a place like BYU or any other place that's capitalizing on transfers is going to be better. And they're going to be better quick. You know, you don't have to go through. I mean, we had to go. When we, when we got to BYU, we're trying to figure out how to get the, the good player in Utah. And that was near impossible. And so we did have to go find a, a Terrell today or a Trent Whiting or, you know, a Travis Hansen out of junior college or, we had to go find guys other places. It, the process is just a lot easier right now. I mean, let, let's be honest. I mean, when you can go to a portal, know what's in a portal, have film on them, you can make your team better. So that they taking advantage of that is a really smart thing. And I, I think it's uh, – if I'm coaching right now, uh, I'm really excited about the ability to get a guy that maybe played three years, has developed his game, and just looking for a new environment – and a new start and a fresh start. He's not going to come in with anything but a great attitude and a desire to really showcase his skills, be on a good team, and get to play at the next level. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
Steve, we are going to have to leave it right there. We appreciate your time coming on today, and we will talk to you again next week. Thanks, guys. Have a great week. You too. Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. David Aldridge, longtime NBA reporter, now working with The Athletic, joins us coming up at 9.05 right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Zero Res. Dirt, dust, dander, and allergens are no match for Zero Res carpet cleaning. Want the contaminants gone? Call Zero Res. Right now, just $33 per room to get your carpets Zero Res clean, but minimum supply. Call them at 801-288-9376 or schedule online at Zero Res Carpet Cleaning. All right, PK, we just heard from Steve Cleveland, and he addressed many questions, and one of them, Jazz split the Florida swing in a way. Isn't it sort of good to have them lose a few until the playoffs? Inevitable that they're going to lose a few before the playoffs. But Steve pointing out, hey, winning ugly is better than losing pretty. It always is, sure. But I, I think with the NBA season being so long with so many games, even in a reduced season, still seems like there's a lot of games. In fact, it seems like there's more games because they're coming at you quicker. So even though there's not as many games, it still seems like there's more because you're playing more games in a reduced time frame. So that offsets the fact that you're playing 10 fewer games, the way I look at it anyway, because it's uh, my wife, if I'm not going downstairs to watch a game, she assumes that, well, then the next, I am tomorrow yeah. because that's how fast gotcha. they're coming at you. And if there's two nights when I don't start to wander downstairs, she's like, well, don't they play tonight? I mean, literally, that's the way she's saying it, uh, it's viewing it and seeing it and says it says it to me are they not playing tonight I literally got that last week when I yeah. when I told my wife and daughter I don't have what do you want to watch I don't have to watch a game tonight and they both looked at me you don't cuz you had the college stuff in on top of the jazz and it's nonstop right now yeah so so many games and you, you want to win them all but at the same time I, I, to an extent as long as you're competitive and you make some some mistakes that are correctable, like that shot, uh, the the turnover that Mitchell had. You know, he's trying to make a play at the end there, and Bogdanovich is moving towards his right, and uh, Mitchell throws the ball a little bit to Bogdanovich's left, so the ball ends up going out of bounds, and Bogey makes a nice effort for it, dove for the ball. Uh, that's a correctable play. And, and the one he thought one going this way and he's going that way and the ball goes out of bounds. So I really have zero complaints on their last two losses. And Quinn Snyder's going to view it differently, obviously. Okay, good, because I was about to say zero? And, yeah. Because I, in Miami, I, don't. I thought in Miami they ran. It, it was amazing to me the Miami game was that close because I thought – they, they didn't move the ball the way they had really even in the previous game. Guys were getting the ball and holding it. Guys were dribbling a lot without really going anywhere. And guys are missing open threes, which is, I guess, the most acceptable because sometimes you just miss shots. But with those three things going wrong, that that was still a really competitive game with five minutes to go and both teams had a chance to win, that, that was pretty surprising. Miami had their top two scorers were, were back, playing together, and were on. And the Jazz offense clearly has looked better, and yet they were still right in the game. That's that, that's all good. That's not negative. That's, that's all the, good. That's the upside, but all the stuff wrong with the offense. Uh, you're not going to play good. to the level of perfection every game. Absolutely not. 
So Tuesday. I don't have a problem with any of that stuff. And it's easier for me to say because I'm not being judged by wins and losses, and I face zero pressure. I face my own little form of pressure, but it's nothing related to theirs. So I realize I can sit here, and then I'm just paid to second guess, and so that's what I do. The one complaint, but it's been a consistent complaint for me, is the quality of three. That's where I've – I don't have a problem with open threes, but I hate them running down – moving, and then supposed to stop real quick. It just seems like the percentage, whatever your percentage is, you're 10 to 15% lower. So, like Joe. Joe, And Joe rarely does it, so I can't really criticize him, but I just know he's shooting 45% off the top of my head. If he were to take those shots where you're on the move and you just stop real quick and fired up, he'd be shooting about 30%. So that's my one criticism is the quality of three. If you're set, please, you must take it, and you must be held accountable if you don't take it. So I have zero problem with that. But some of those threes, particularly Clarkson, and it's hard. He's had such a great season, so I don't want to go overboard and say, oh, he's the biggest offender. But sometimes it's just moving too quick. And I like that you think you're going to make it, so fired up. That's a good sign. But I would say try to get a, where you're slowing down a little bit more on those threes. That, but that's about it. Other than that, there's going to be some turnovers. It's not like they were stupid plays or just, man, mind-boggling. I can't believe you did that type of thing. And, or you fumbled the ball, Rudy fumbled the ball when he should have caught it or what have you. Those things are going to happen to an extent. But overall... I don't see how you can't be pleased. Well, I think fans are pleased, but it's nitpicking time. And it's nitpicking time because of what we saw out of the Lakers and the Warriors. Specifically, what we saw out of the Lakers. It's like, no matter how good you are, and no matter how many teams you hammer in the middle of the league, have you tightened up the act enough to handle LeBron and the Lakers? Because they're going to give you, they're probably not, I want to say they're going to give you nothing, and that's probably not true. But they're not going to give you much. In a seven-game series, you're going to have to take most of what you win. And, and you, may get a, you may get a gift here and there. But they're going to, assuming they're healthy, they're going to tighten up their act and play at a very high level. So It's going to be very tough to beat them. I, I know. But everybody wants it, and that's the quest so how much can you tighten up the act? And they may, they may not be healthy when you get there. Nobody knows. But to your point earlier in the show, if you're just joining us, it brought up how completely the Lakers dismantled the Warriors up by 20 in the first quarter, and they never let them back in the game. And your point was, mm, AD's not even back yet. I mean, they got Schroeder back, and you just give LeBron a little bit of help, and the guy doesn't blink. Early in his career, did he blink? Yes. And we can complain about the loss to Dallas and what that means for his all-time legacy and all that. But he's not blinking now, and you got to play him now. You don't get to play that guy earlier in his career. Now he's got to figure it out, and he doesn't blink. He's lost because the Warriors were at a really high level with a roster that was incredibly talented. And he's lost when he was hurt. He's lost when his top two teammates were hurt. But there just isn't much wiggle room to beat that guy. And so everything the Jazz do is viewed like, yeah, you thrashed Orlando, but you lost to Miami, and if you can't beat Miami and you make those mistakes, how are you possibly going to beat the Lakers? 
And that's never very so far every from loss anyone's you're mind. Just say that the rest of the season. <laughs> <laughs> probably after some of the wins too. Which, to your point, is nitpicking because they're playing at a very high oh. level. But nobody wants to lose. It the would Lakers. be after every win. It would literally be after every game. How are you going to beat the Lakers? If you want to say it every day, go ahead, because that's going to be out there. The quest, just like it is for the Clippers and the Suns and every team in the West, because the Lakers are the defending champions and so they have to decide the rest of them how are you going to beat those teams i don't know how you're going to do it well i know how you're going to do it i don't know if you can do it i know how you're going to do it. we we know the blueprint for jazz wins now watch every game we've seen what they do we know it we know what it's about now can you accomplish but when none of these games winning or losing is going to change that opinion can you do it it's going to be a monumental task. And if I were to say right now, I'd say probably not. Until I, and, but I always I take that mindset all the time. It's like when we get to the BYU-Utah football game. Well, you haven't beaten them since 2009, so I ain't picking you now. <laughs> I'm not going to pick you until I see you do it. Well, it's the same type of deal with the Jazz. Lakers won the title until they're dethroned. I'm not, I'm not going to see – I'm not going to pick a team. Do it. I, I did it with the Chiefs this season. I end up being wrong. I picked them at the beginning of the season because they return you know, most of their guys, and that's the way I pick them. So that's the way it's always going to be until it gets done. What we need to do is find ways to distract LeBron. I mean, Zlatan there, whatever, uh, ripping them for being uh, political. No, do that in the postseason, Big C. You did it too early. I don't need you to do it now. Second to, February. Second to do distract it, him or fire him up, though. I, I, any well, I think if you listen to LeBron, what he does, and he's been uh, he said this when he gets to the postseason, he shuts off social media. So that would be if that would by his own acknowledgement, that's a distraction because he shuts it off. That's what he said. So. With that in mind, I would assume it's a distraction according to his own behavior. So that's about it. The guy's a, a marvel. He's one of a kind. Give him a little help, and he'll get the job done. <laughs> We've seen it time and time again. And for him, you know, for the Jazz perspective, it doesn't matter if the Lakers win the title. It just matters if they get to the final. Because if they get to the final, then that means you didn't. So you don't need the Lakers to win the title. You just need them, from the Jazz perspective, to get there. That That's taking away what you want. So it's going to be very difficult. And But I think there's a way. And the thing about it, as you accumulate more wins, it becomes, in my mind anyway, it becomes they have a better chance. Even if it's still a long shot, it's less of a long shot. At 27-7, and seven, Right now, today, it's I view it as less of a long shot as if they were, uh, how many games is that, 34 that they've played? Is that what it comes yeah. out to? Yeah. Then whatever version of 34 you want to put out there. So being 27-7, and seven, in my mind, that gives them a better chance than if they were 25-9. Uh, and nine. If that comes out to 34, whatever it is. Well, Vegas is with you. There? Yeah, Vegas is with you. They're lowering the odds and the Jazz winning. It's the same thing. You know, they got a better shot than yeah. they did. 
So, all right, DJ PK. It's going to be tough. Yep. But that's the way I see it. We've got uh, we got football news uh, breaking in an interesting season offseason for quarterbacks. Just one more storyline to throw in a hopper full of multiple storylines. We will get to that next. Stay with us. And now, really? your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealer's strong play of the weekend. Really? Clarkson attacking, gets pulled out by Carter Williams, who's long, good defensive player. Oh, he gets faked out here, falls to the ground, and Clarkson just underhand scoops it up and in, and Michael Carter Williams has no shoes, no shirt, and no service. That is the Chevy Strong play of the game. Know it today at 450. You can win fabulous prizes. No one's going to forget Jordan Clarkson. Shaking, bacon, changing directions, and getting Mike Carter-Williams to tip over. Know that today at 450. You can win fabulous prizes. All right, PK, uh, here in the past hour, multiple reports on social media now that the Washington football team is parting ways with Alex Smith. Now, no word from Washington, no word from Alex on this, so we'll wait to see more. But in an offseason where there's been a ton of quarterback movement, this won't be one of the bigger Bigger pieces, and possibly Alex will just decide it's time to retire, but his quotes last week didn't really sound like a guy who was on the verge of retiring. He sounds like a guy who wants to play. So for somebody looking for a veteran quarterback, that's one more name to put in the hopper while we wait to see what happens in Seattle with Russell Wilson and what's going to happen in Houston. Is Watson going to get traded or not? And we assume Breeze is going to retire, but we haven't heard that yet. And There's plenty going on with NFL quarterbacks. How interested do you think somebody will be in Alex Smith if he's on the open market? A little, DJ. Not a lot. The injury history is going to square, going to uh, intimidate a lot of teams and scare them off. But he is a veteran quarterback. If you've got a young guy, he can help. If he's got to play as a backup, he can, and he can win at a higher rate. He can win at a higher rate than most backups. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule it out, him landing somewhere. Now, does he want to take a backup job? Does he want to go somewhere where he's got a chance to compete? Um, that's probably his best-case scenario. I can't believe he's going to go anywhere where he's going to be the front-runner for the job. I think teams would be too scared by his injury history for that. Any thoughts on the quarterback thing, or you just want to wait for this whole jumbled mess to sort itself out? Quarterback is always interesting, and now it seems like in the draft we are having a run of quarterbacks. I I would have to be able to look at uh, prior drafts, but it doesn't seem like more quarterbacks than ever are being drafted high. Yeah, in the we're first at least round. we're at least matching what's happening, uh, but we're certainly not going backwards. It, it seems like most years there's going to be four or five guys in the first round, which seems higher than it used to be. That's but, what I'm saying. But yeah. you're quarterback dependent, so I, th- I think you're onto the trend. So with that in mind. Are we really sure in March before the draft what's going to happen? Like you talk about Kuiper. He's got Atlanta making that trade. I think in his last one, moving up to number two, Wilson from BYU looks like he's slotted at number two, but we don't know which team. So with that in mind, it's hard to predict who's going where at this point. And there's still some major moves to come even if it's not with existing players it's with the draft because if Atlanta makes that move that's that's a significant move right 
to move up to, to number two there to see what's going to happen. And you still have Watson out there. And now with this Wilson thing going on, if he were to choose the Cowboys, what would they do? So there's all sorts of moving parts that I don't think I can say, oh, I'm pretty sure that I'm going to go this way or that way. Probably not until we get to May. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. David Aldridge joins us next, longtime NBA reporter, now working with The Athletic. He's on the way. Stay with us.